Amen. Well, it's good to see you. How many of you are glad that you're in church today? Amen. How many of you would rather be here than in jail? Amen. Praise the Lord. Most of you. It's great to see you. How many teenagers do we have today? If you're a junior high or high school student, would you stand up? All the teenagers, if you're in junior high or high school, stand up, stand up. Let's give the Lord a hand for these guys and girls. Bless you. Amen. You may be seated and behave yourself. Amen. And uh, I love teenagers because I came to know Christ as a teenager. I didn't grow up in church. If you got a mom and dad that got you up this morning and said, it's time to go to church, you ought to thank God for that. Because I didn't have that. My mama was 15 years old when she got pregnant with me. My dad was a teenager. Nobody in our family knew the Lord. Both my maternal and paternal grandparents were alcoholics. They called them bar flies, white trash. So my mom and dad got married as teenagers. They didn't understand marriage. They didn't understand love. They didn't know God. And we lived in a little hovel of a house. There was no home in our house. We lived in a little area of town called the Dog Patch in Wichita Falls, Texas. And that's how my life began. My mom, as a teenager, became a bartender. My dad was a truck driver. I never knew my dad really growing up. He was gone all the time. And so I began to see my mama with one man after another, after another, after another. When I was seven, eight years old, I came home from second grade, stood between my mom and my dad, and dodged flying pots and pans and flying ashtrays and flying accusations. And as an eight-year-old little boy, my mom and dad threw in the towel on their marriage. Some of you have been through that. And the only thing I can tell you is that something inside of me died that day. And I became a very angry little boy. I started getting in trouble at school at a young age. When I was in the eighth grade, somebody introduced me to alcohol. They gave me a can of beer and said, you'll like this, and I did. Two years later, I had an alcohol substance abuse problem with alcohol and then when I was a sophomore in high school somebody handed me a joint of marijuana the gateway drug and said you'll like this it'll make your problems go away and I had so many problems by that time I'd been kicked out of every school in the town where my mom and her third husband lived and so I went to live with my dad in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex I never really knew my dad and immediately I began hanging out with the wrong crowd. On the outside, I looked okay because I was an athlete, 220-pound fullback, going to play college football. And I'd wear my letter jacket, strut up and down the halls of my high school campus like I had the world by the tail. And then I'd cry myself to sleep every night because I felt so lonely and so empty and so guilty. On Friday night, I'd run up and down the football field making one play after another and Hundreds of people would stand to their feet and applaud as they called my name over the loudspeaker. And then I'd go home and think about taking a pistol, putting it in my mouth, and blowing my brains out. I was empty on the inside. Pastor, my life was so messed up, it was kind of like a soap opera. As the world turned, I was one of the young and the restless who was in a constant search for tomorrow. 
until one day the guiding light took me by the hand, led me through the secret storm, promised me I could live with him in another world and be part of all my children. Amen. I mean, God changed my life. I want to tell you how it happened, and then I want to talk to you for just a few moments. I'm not going to preach long this morning. I'll tell you what Elizabeth Taylor told her eighth husband. I won't keep you long, but I want you to listen for just a few minutes to the miracle of what Christ did in my life. 17 years old, an alcoholic, a teenage drug addict. I began to run with a Mexican mafia. My best friend was the biggest dope dealer in our community. My life was empty and in January of 1980, my senior year in high school, there were three girls in my geometry class, eight o'clock in the morning, that got a burden for my soul. I want to ask you a question. I want you to listen to me very carefully. When's the last time you had a burden for anybody's soul? You know, there are two kinds of Christians sitting in this room this morning, soul winners and backsliders. And that's it. You see, if all you do is come to church and lift your hands and get your praise on, give a little bit of money and listen to a sermon, and then go home and let your next door neighbor die and go to hell, then something's wrong in your heart. As a matter of fact, let me tell you that the number one priority on the heart of God is the souls of men and women. That's why the Bible says in John 3.16, it's the Bible in a nutshell, that God so loved the world. The Bible doesn't just say God loved the world. The Bible says God so loved the world. That little word so puts passion in that verse. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave his very best. God literally became the creator, became a part of his own creation. We call it the incarnation. We celebrate it at Christmas. God, in the person of Jesus, stepped down the starry steps of eternity into time, wrapped up his deity in flesh, and the creating one became the cradled one. The infant was at the same time the infinite God. God became a man, and he did it for one reason, because he loved you so much, and he wasn't willing that you should perish. He wanted you to have eternal life. Do you know the number one thing on the heart of God the Son is souls? Listen, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, they asked Jesus, why did you come? Do you remember what he said? I came to seek and to save that which is said. Lost. You know why God gave us the Holy Spirit? Now, I'm a Pentecostal. I, I'm, a, I'm a charismatic. I believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I speak in tongues every day. I believe God still heals people. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Listen, God ain't, God's not dead. He ain't even sick. Amen. I mean, God is alive. But you know why God gave us the Holy Spirit? Listen to me. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Spirit of God comes upon you and you'll speak in tongues. Is that what the Bible says? It's not what it says. It's not what it says. You'd have a hard time convincing the Apostle Paul that you're a spirit-filled Christian if you never tell anybody about Jesus. The Bible says you'll receive power when the Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my saint. Witnesses. If you're not a witness, you're not spirit-filled. 
You see, the reason God gave His Son is for souls. The reason God gave us the Holy Spirit is so that He could empower us to be witnesses of what Christ has done in our life. And if that's going to happen, I want to show you from the Bible what's going to have to happen in all of our lives. And I'm praying in my own life. I'm praying in the life of every one of us as we move toward that great day, Friend Day. Pastor mentioned Jeff Wickwire and I are good friends. I was just at his church about three or four weeks ago preaching on Friend Day. And on Friend Day, 237 people made first-time commitments of their, of their life to Jesus. And that night, over 100 of those people got baptized. Come on, shout, somebody. I mean, that's what it's all about. And what I'm praying is, is that on Friend Day, there won't be one empty seat in this entire building. Amen. Because I want to tell you, I've been in this area before. There ain't no shortage on sinners in Beaumont. Amen. I mean, they're everywhere. But you see, no one's going to get saved this morning from this seat. And nobody on that row is going to get saved. Nobody on that row is going to be saved. You know why? Because God doesn't save saints and God doesn't save empty seats. So Friend Day is an opportunity for all of us to do everything we can to bring the people that God has strategically placed in our life, just like He did in my life. I'm going to finish that story in a moment. But let me show you from the Bible what's going to have to take place in our hearts. Listen to me. If God is going to really use us to make an impact, and by the way, that's why God left you here. God didn't save you just to take you to heaven when you die. If God saved you to take you to heaven when you die, he would have killed you on the spot and you'd be in heaven right now. Amen. God saved you for a reason. And that reason is so that you could join his great mission. God is on a mission and that mission is to reconcile people to himself through the person and work of his son, Jesus. And if we're going to be involved in that, let me show you from the Bible what's going to have to happen. Take your Bible and turn to Psalm number 126. Psalm number 126. I hope everybody has a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, look on with someone sitting next to you. How many of you in this room this morning know that you know that you know that you know Jesus, and if you died right now, you'd be in heaven? Let me see your hand right now. If you know Christ, let me see your hand. Now listen to me very carefully. Because this is the reason why God saved you. Psalm number 126, verse 5. The Bible says, they that sow in, say it, tears. Say it again, tears. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goes forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Now listen to me very carefully for the next few moments. The first thing that's going to have to happen in our life if God's going to use us to win our family members. How many of you have a family member that's lost? Let me see your hand. Look, look at me. If they died right now, they'd be in hell forever. Let me ask you a question. Doesn't that bother you? You know, Jesus, who spoke about heaven, and I believe in heaven, but Jesus spoke three times as often about hell. And he said hell is like the burning garbage dump outside of the city of Jerusalem. He compared it to that place. They called it Gehenna. And it was a place where they took the unclaimed bodies of the dead and all their refuse and all the garbage of the city was dumped into Gehenna. Because of that, the fire never went out. And the smoke never seemed to quit ascending. 
And there were worms that never died. And Jesus said, that's what eternity is going to be like for every person that doesn't know me. And that ought to break our hearts. As a matter of fact, the number one thing that's going to have to happen in our heart, and I'm praying that it'll happen in all of our hearts this morning, is we're going to have to come to the point where we are, listen, we are broken and burdened over the lost. They that sow in, say it, tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and what? Weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you wept over a lost soul? When's the last time you couldn't sleep at night? Because your next door neighbor, while you got up this morning and got dressed and got your family and got in the car, you looked over at your next door neighbor and they were mowing the grass or there were beer cans strewn all across their front yard. You know the kind of life that they live. They don't know Christ. When's the last time you said, God, break my heart? Do you know every person in the Bible that was ever greatly used of God was a person who had a broken heart? Exodus chapter 32, verse 32, the Bible says Moses, the man of God, God had had a belly full of the nation of Israel and God was going to wipe them off the face of the earth. Let me tell you something, my friend, what's missing from the pulpit in America is a sense of the awesome judgment and the wrath and the judgment of God. God is a holy God, my friend. God's not some big teddy bear up in the sky with an ice cream cone in one hand and a lollipop in the other who just pats us all on the head and lets everybody go to heaven. God is a righteous God. He's a holy God. Now I want to tell you, God's had a belly full of the United States of America. You think Ferguson, Missouri is something, that's a preview of what's coming if we don't have revival in America. Our only hope, listen to me, our hope is not a political hope. We're too far gone for that. The only hope of America is revival. Revival. I mean an old-fashioned Holy Ghost, Bible-preaching, sin-fighting, devil-chasing, nail-pulling, shingle-rattling revival. We need revival. Amen? Not just in the pews of America, but in the pulpits of America. I want to tell you, we got a, we got a whole generation of sissy-faced little preacherettes who preach sermonettes to Christianettes who smoke cigarettes and drive Corvettes while they dress like majorettes and watch TV sets. Amen? What we need are some old-fashioned Holy Ghost men and women of God who will stand up and lay the axe to the root of the problem and say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And it has to start with the people of God who have a broken heart. And Moses stood in the gap and made up the hedge. And I can see hot tears rolling down his cheeks as he pleaded with God. Here's what he said. He said, God, if you won't save these people, then blot my name out of your book. He had a broken heart. You know what he was saying? He was saying, God, if you don't save my next door neighbor, it's going to kill me. If you don't save my lost son, my daughter, if you don't save my coworker, if you don't save my teammate, my classmate, I feel like I'm going to die. Moses had a broken heart. Nehemiah had a broken heart. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4. Nehemiah said, When I heard that the walls of the city of Jerusalem were broken down and the city was in dishevels and shambles, and people were not worshiping God. Nehemiah said, When I heard that, I sat down, listen, and I wept and I fasted. When's the last time you fasted? When's the last time? I'm not talking about your own little problems that... 
I want to tell you, my friend, the, the problem with Christians in America is that we have turned inward and we're concerned about ourselves and me and my problems and we're narcissists and we're in love with ourselves and the whole world's going to hell because of it. Nehemiah said, I fasted. When's the last time you said, God, I can't even eat? I'm so burdened over my next door neighbor and where they're going to spend eternity that I can't eat. I can't sleep at night. I have a co-worker. He uses your name in vain and my heart is broken. And Nehemiah said, I sat down and I wept and I fasted crying out to God to do something. Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 1. Jeremiah prophesied in the midst of a people who were playing and dancing on their way to hell just like the people that you interact with in your life every day. And Jeremiah said, I wish my head was water and my eyes was a, were fountains that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people Israel. He had a broken heart. Paul had a broken heart. Acts chapter 20, verse 31. He said to the Ephesian elders, For the space of three years I cease not to warn you, listen, every day with tears. And listen to his autobiographical cry in Romans chapter 10, verse 1. He said, I'm telling the truth. My conscience bears witness. I'm not lying. He said, I have, con listen, continual heaviness and sorrow in my heart for my brothers according to the flesh. And then he made a great, great statement of pathos and emotion. He said, I I could wish myself cut off from God for their salvation. You know what he was saying? I'd be willing to go to hell if they could go to heaven. He had a broken heart for souls. And Jesus had a broken heart. You know, we never read about Jesus smiling, although I'm sure he smiled and I'm sure he laughed and I'm sure because kids love to be around him and kids always want to be around somebody who's full of love and life and laughter, but we never read about Jesus laughing and we never read about him smiling, but three times we read about Jesus weeping. Billy Sunday said, we'll never have revival in our churches until Mr. Wet Eyes come back. When's the last time you wept over a lost soul? Jesus wept. The Bible says when Jesus stood at Lazarus' funeral and he saw that the wages of sin was death played out in the life of one of his closest friends, the Bible says he wept. The Bible says in Luke chapter 19 verse 41 that when Jesus came to the city of Israel, the city of Jerusalem, a city that had said no to their Messiah and rejected their king, the Bible says when he saw the city, he wept over it. His heart was broken. I think Jesus is weeping over Beaumont. I think Jesus is weeping over our nation where we have 1.1 million teenage alcoholics. A million kids ran away from home last year. Hundreds of thousands of them in sex traffic and spent the night in the major news, in the major cities, the back alleys, covered themselves up with newspaper or lived in a homeless shelter last night. Listen, every 38 seconds a teenage girl becomes pregnant out of wedlock. Over a million teenage girls got abortions last year. 600,000 teenagers tried to blow their brains out, slit their wrist or OD on some kind of a drug or narcotic, and 6,000 young people were successful. They took, let me ask you a question, doesn't that bother you? You say, Scott, what can we do? We can get on our face at this altar and say, God, break my heart. God, break my heart. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5 that in the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus would go to the cross and bench press the sins of the world that he offered up strong tears and cries. He cried out to God for the sins of the world. We need a broken heart 
for the lost. And then we need to start bearing the seed. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth. Listen, bearing precious seed. You say, Scott, what is the seed? Now listen to me. Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, verse 13, that the seed is the word of God. James chapter 1, verse 21, the seed is the word of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, we've been born again of the incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. Here's what the Bible's saying. Now listen to me. Listen, everyone that knows Jesus, what God is saying is that when you go to work in the morning, and you ask God, God, break my heart for the lost. God begins to show you how lost, how lost your co-workers are. How lost the people where you go buy your gas is and where you buy your groceries. They don't know Jesus and they're lost and they're one heartbeat away from spending eternity in hell. See, there are only two sections in eternity, smoking and non. Amen. You're going to die. You're either going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. And when God begins to burden and break your heart for the lost, the next thing he wants you to do in the power of the Holy Spirit is to open up your mouth and tell them about Jesus. Now let me ask you a question. When's the last time you talked to anybody about Jesus? When's the last time? Two kinds of Christians in this room right now. Soul winners and backsliders. Did you know what we love is what we talk about? If you love the Dallas Cowboys... I don't know if y'all love the Dallas Cowboys down here. Whoever you love, you love the Cowboys, you talk about the Cowboys. You don't have to get a master's degree in Cowboyology to talk about the Cowboys. If you love them, you, if you love fishing, you talk about fishing. If you love hunting, you talk about hunting. If you love your grandkids, you talk about your grandkids. If you love guys, girls, you talk about guys. If you love guys, guys, well, if you love guys, guys, we'll talk after the service. Amen. But whatever you love, listen to me, is what you talk about. You know why some of us don't ever talk about Jesus outside the four walls of this church? Is because if the truth were known, somewhere along the line, we've fallen out of love with Jesus. And church has just become kind of a habit. Just kind of something we do because we live in the South and everybody goes to church. But it's been a long time since your heart was on fire. Since you were passionately in love with Jesus. And that's why it's not just supernaturally natural for everywhere you go for you to talk about Jesus and smile and tell people Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. When's the last time you say, well, Scott, I'm not like you. I'm not an evangelist. I don't have a lot of boldness. Let me tell you something, friend. Our problem is not boldness. Our problem's coldness. We just don't care. You just don't care. Besides all that, the power is not in the personality of a sower. The power is in the seed. You don't have to be a dynamic personality or an evangelist. All you've got to do, listen to me, is open up your mouth and tell somebody about Jesus. Sow some seed because there's power in the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. The Bible says the Word of God is sharp like a two-edged sword. It can divide asunder between the bone and the marrow. And there's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, dividing between the soul and the spirit. The swords of men cut dead men and make them, or cut living men and make them die. But the sword of the spirit cuts dead men and makes them come alive. The Bible says in Jeremiah 23, 29, God says, is not my word like a fire that burns and like a hand 
hammer that breaks a hard rock in pieces. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, verse 10, 11, that God's word, he says, my word that goes out of my mouth, it will not return to me void, but it will accomplish what I sent it forth to accomplish. Listen, God's word is like a sword. It's like a seed. It's like a fire. It's like a hammer. Just open up your mouth and share Jesus and watch what the Holy Spirit begins to do. Amen. got to start sharing Jesus everywhere you go. I mean, just smile this afternoon when you go out to a restaurant. You know what waitress and waiters tell me? Yeah, I always ask them, how are all these church people treating you on Sunday? You know what they tell me? I don't even want to work on Sunday. There's all these Christian people come in from their wearing their Sunday best and they've been to church and they treat me wrong. If, if anything's just slightly off, if I'm a little late getting their food, they jump all over me. God help us. You, you, do you, are you understand what I'm saying today? Who cares if your enchiladas are cold? That young lady needs Jesus. Who cares if she didn't fill your glass up enough? Listen, she needs Jesus. Have you ever talked to some of these precious young ladies who are waitresses, whose sorry husbands ran off and left them with three kids and they got to work two jobs just to put enough food on the table so their kids can eat? Listen, they're hurting. They're hurting. I went out to eat at a pizza hut not long ago. If I could get enough pizza, I could win the whole world to Jesus. Amen. I sat down on the Pizza Hut. My 15-year-old son was with me that day. We were doing a friend day, just like we're doing here. Over 100 people got saved that morning. And we went out to Pizza Hut and sat down at a booth, and the young lady came to take our order. And she brought our food. I said to her what I always say. I said, can I pray with you? We're going to eat this food. Is there anything I can pray with you about? Tears began to well up in her eyes. She took her phone out of her dress or her uniform and she said i want to show you something she showed me a picture of her car it was twisted and mangled she said this is my car she said a month ago i was involved in this accident she said i shouldn't even be here right now they had to extract my body out of my car and she said for the last 30 days i've been crying myself to sleep at night saying god if you're really real would you please show me how i can know you and I had the privilege of telling her that even though we've all sinned and we've all broken God's law and we all deserve the judgment of God, that God didn't want to judge us. And so he sent his son. And instead of judging us, he sent his son to take the judgment that we deserved on the cross. And that three days later, he rose from the dead. And that if we would turn from our sin and trust him, that our lives could be made new. And I said, that's called being saved. And I told her that I'd been saved. And I said, would you like to be saved? She started. I started crying. I started crying. I looked at my son. He was crying. She said, I want to be saved. She pulled up a chair, pulled it, sat down right there at Pizza Hut, man, and gave her life to Jesus Christ. Listen, man, people want Jesus. The problem is not out there. Jesus said the harvest field is white, it's ripe, it's ready to be harvested. you got friends who want Jesus and family members and people in your life who want Jesus. you just got to open up your mouth and tell them what Christ has done in your life and how he can change their life. Share with them the gospel. We need a broken heart for souls. 
We need to start bearing the seed. I mean, everywhere. If you can't do anything else, then just get some gospel tracks and go in the bathroom and look in the stalls for feet. Amen? I mean, you got to do something in there. Amen? I mean, just do something. Do something. I have a personal commitment in my life that I don't let one day go by where I don't tell at least one person about Jesus. And I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to you one day. One day your heart's going to stop beating. You're going to go to heaven. Bible says there's going to be a great white throne judgment. The Bible says all the dead, spiritually dead, small and great, are going to be resurrected and they're going to stand in front of Jesus. And the Bible says the book's going to be open and another book's going to be open. The Bible says one by one by one they're going to stand in front of God. Not to decide whether or not they go to heaven or hell. You decide that in this life but to decide their degree of punishment in the lake of fire forever and ever. Let me tell you something, my friend. Have you ever noticed that right after that verse, the Bible says God wipes our tears from our eyes? Have you ever noticed that in the Bible? You know why? I'm convinced when you stand with Jesus, you see your next door neighbor who you lived next to for 10 or 20 or 30 years and you waved and smiled at them and talked to them about football and fishing and everything under the sun, but you never one time told them how they could come to know Jesus Christ. You're going to see them stand before God. And it's going to dawn on you that the size of your house and how much money you got in the bank and how big your car is and your 401c3 or whatever, your bank, your, your 401k and all that, none of that stuff's going to matter. The only thing that's going to last forever is the Word of God and the souls of men. And the Bible says their blood, are you listening to me? Their blood's going to be on your hands. Paul said, I am free from the blood of all men. What did he mean? He meant, I have witnessed to every person in, in, in this city of Ephesus. Have you, have you even shared the gospel with your co-worker? Have you told your favorite waitress how she can go to heaven and escape hell? How God can change your life? The Bible says at that moment, we're going to begin to weep. God's going to wipe the tears away from our eyes. We're going to go to heaven. Thank God for that. But our friends and families and next door neighbors and loved ones and waitresses and people that we were around all the time and we never, listen, we never opened up our mouth. You say, well, I do it by the way I live my life. Oh, listen to me. There's nobody in this room beginning with me who lives such a great, holy, wonderful, perfect life that people are just falling down in front of you and saying, what must I do to be saved? You don't live that holy of a life. Besides all that, people aren't saved by your life. They're saved by his death. You've got to open up your mouth and tell them about Jesus Christ. Broken for souls. Bearing the seed. Let me show you one last thing. The Bible says if we'll let God break our heart this morning. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll just start sharing the gospel everywhere we go. Everywhere. It's not hard. Just smile and say, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus cha changed my life. Jesus wants to come into your heart. Would you like for Jesus to come into your heart? It's not hard to share the gospel. Then God says if we'll do that, then we'll come with rejoicing. Listen, bringing our sheaves with us. They that sow in tears, listen, this is a promise, shall reap in joy. By the way, that's where the joy is at in the Christian life. 
Huh? You know some of the most miserable people I've ever met in my life go to church every single solitary Sunday. Amen? You know why? Because the joy's not in coming to church. And some of you are getting like that. Pastor, I'm in a different church every Sunday. And usually sitting about right here since there's nobody here. Amen. There's some old saint that's been sitting there for 30 years. I mean, that's her seat. If you try to sit there, she'll bite your head off in Christian love. You know the kind? Amen. I mean, some of the meanest people I've ever met go to church. Got a face so long she could stand straight-legged and lick buttermilk out of a gopher hoe and never move an inch. That's a long face. Amen. I mean, just miserable. Critical, negative, always against. Well, I don't like friend day. I don't think that's what we, every time I see somebody like that, I want to say, sister, stand up and lead us in a word of criticism. Amen? I mean, just negative. Lost her joy. If you're not careful, you'll become like that. You'll become religious. Religious people are the meanest people in the world. I'm going to tell you, what, what happens is we become inward and we turn inward. And after that, it's not long to start becoming critical because there's not one perfect church that's got it all together in the whole world. But God doesn't want us to turn inward. Listen, he wants us to look out. The church exists for those who do not yet know Jesus. And if you're not going to rise up, li listen to me. If you're not going to rise up and win this city to Jesus then it would be better for you to sell this building and board up these walls, these doors and windows and shut this whole church down. Because all you are is a social club, a country club with a steeple on top. God has put you here for one reason, and that is to rise up in the power of the Holy Ghost and shake this city with the power of God. About 10 years ago, Gina and I, my wife and I, God called us to plant a church. It was our second church plant. We started in a living room. God called us to reach the people that nobody else wanted. And so we moved into an urban area, the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Started with a handful of people. We started evangelizing the community. In seven years, we had over a 1,000 people there. It was a BMW church, black, Mexican, and white. Amen. I mean, it was everybody. We had street people there and prostitutes and former strippers. The Fort Worth Star-Telegram did a front-page article on our church baptizing a young man by the name of Savando who was the leader of the 18th Street Gang. And I read about him in the newspaper that he had been stabbed with a butcher knife shoved through his head at a urinal at a bar in Arlington, a hit by, by another arrival gang leader had put a hit out on him, and somehow he had miraculously survived. The Holy Spirit of God said, go tell him about Jesus. He's ready to be saved. And so I began to ask around in the community, how do I find this guy, Servando? It didn't take long. It didn't take long to find his little hovel of a home where his Mexican mama lived. And she didn't speak one word of English. I went and knocked on the door. And I said, I've come to pray for Servando. She thought I was a priest. She said, come in, Father. I said, God bless you, my child. And I walked right in. Servando got saved. And he got baptized, and the Fort Worth Star-Telegram did an article on it. And six months later, another gang member got saved. I introduced him to Servando in the parking lot. I said, do you know Servando? He said, do I know him? Two years ago, I fired off six rounds trying to kill him. And they embraced one another as brothers in Christ. That's what the gospel can do. 
Listen, the problem, the solution to the problem in Ferguson is the gospel. It's Jesus. The solution to the problem in New York City is Jesus. The solution to every problem in the world is the cross. It's the, and you have the answer. And if you don't share it, then you'll answer to God for it and you'll begin to lose your joy. Spell joy with me. Ready? J-O-Y. You know what joy stands for? Jesus first. See, that's your problem. You're putting yourself first. That's my problem. But Jesus has to be number one. And the priority and the heart and the passion of Jesus and then others second, not you second, not even your family second, others. Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel and pray, my prayer will be for others, 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 others. Jesus first, others second, you last. That's where the joy is at in the Christian life. And so 34 years ago in January of 1980, a young lady by the name of Kelly Cross Sand. She's my friend to this day, and I found out later that she went to a little Baptist church out in the middle of nowhere, and the revival, a revival. You know what this church, you know what this church needs? You need a revival. You need a revival. And as long as you're content to just keep on having church services, you'll never have revival. But when you begin to cry out in desperation, oh God, do something at our church. And that's what these young people in the youth group at Retta Baptist Church out in Burleson, Texas, they began to come together. God had settled down on their youth group. And I found out later they made a top ten list of the worst kids in our high school who they wanted to see get saved before the end of the school year. And guess who made number one on the prayer list? You're looking at him right now. The only time I was ever number one in anything, I was number one on the prayer list. I found out they started praying for me and they would fast for me and they would pull their chairs together and skip lunch at our high school and they'd pray and they'd get out their prayer list and they'd say, God, save Scott Camp and save Steve Phipps and save Tony Moody and save Celso Jimenez. And they'd go down that list and they'd pray and they'd weep and they'd cry out to God for my soul. I'm here right now because somebody got a burden for my soul. In January of 1980, Kelly, those big, beautiful blue eyes, everybody knew Kelly. Kelly had big, beautiful blue eyes and blonde hair. She was one of those popular girls at our school. She had been a cheerleader, a member of the drill team. She was very well respected, but Kelly came to the point in her life where she didn't care about anything except the only thing that matters, the souls of men. She found her purpose. She joined the mission of God. And in January of 1980, she reached across the aisle, tapped me on the shoulder, tears at 8 o'clock in the morning, tears were streaming down her cheeks. And she said, Scott, do you know why you're so miserable? I said, why don't you tell me? And she said, because you don't know God. And she began to weep. And another girl named Angela Allen, her name now is Angela Paxton, her, her husband Ken is now the Attorney General beginning in January of Texas. And Angela reached over and she said, Scott, we've all been praying for you. And she told me something I'd never heard before in my life. She said, Jesus loved you and he died on the cross for you. Now, I believed in Jesus and I believed he died on the cross for everybody in the whole world. But I never knew it was for me that he died. 
There was for me that his beard was ripped out at the roots and nails went through his hands and feet and his face was disfigured and nails were driven through his hands and his feet and he was hung up on a cross to die for me covered with blood and spit and sweat and dirt and every sin that I've ever committed. I never knew that. And then she told me he rose from the dead and he's alive and he can change your life. And another girl named Debbie said, Scott, why don't you give your life to Jesus this morning? And I wish I could tell you that I dropped on my knees at that geometry class and said, Jesus, come into my heart. But I was so hard. I stood up and took God's name in vain and said, I don't even believe there is a God. But I knew there was a God. We all know there's a God. I walked out of the middle of that classroom and later on that day, Kelly didn't give up. She came up to me in the hall, stuck her little finger in my big face and said, buddy, listen. She said, you're the biggest phony in this high school. And she said, I'm going to pray for you every day until God changes your life. And a month later in February of 1980 on Cooper Street in Arlington, Texas at a discotheque called Grand Central Station, two Arlington police officers who had been looking for me for a long time finally caught up with me. They arrested me. They booked me on a felony. Later I was transferred to Tarrant County Jail in Fort Worth, Texas. And in that jail cell 34 years ago, I can't explain it. I don't understand the mechanics of how it all happened. Let me tell you something, buddy. If you've got to understand everything about God before you'll give your life to Jesus, then you'll die and go to hell because you can't understand. Christianity is not irrational, but it's supra-rational. It's beyond our ability to understand with our little thimble of full of brains in that jail cell. The wind. Jesus said it's like the wind. He said being born again is like the wind. You can feel the power of the wind and know the presence of the wind, but you can't explain the wind. You don't know where it came from or where it's going. And somehow this mystery of the new birth, the Spirit of God came blowing like the wind, like air coming into my lungs. Christ came into my life, convicted me of my sins. I put my trust in Jesus who loved me and died for me on the cross and rose from the dead. I walked in a jail cell, one person. I walked out of a jail cell, another person because of the power of Jesus Christ. But it all started, listen to me and I'm done, because three high school girls got a burden for my soul i'd like every person in this room very quietly and very reverently to bow your head and close your eyes please all over the room heads are bowed eyes are closed and i gotta ask you a question how many of you would say scott i don't think so i don't hope so i know i remember the day and the time and the moment when i repented of my sin and I trusted Christ as my Savior. And if my heart stopped beating right now, I close my eyes for the last time this side of eternity. I don't hope so or think so. I know that I'd go to heaven to be with Jesus. Not because I'm good, but because God's good. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ did for me on the cross when he bled and suffered and took my place. And I believe he rose from the dead and I've repented of my sin and given him my life and I love Jesus with all my heart. Everybody that knows me knows I love Jesus. And if I died right now, I'm as sure for heaven as if I'd already been there a million years. If that's your testimony and you can say it with a clear conscience, I want you to lift your hand up high in the air and hold it there for just a moment. I know that 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 I'm saved. And if that's you, you ought to lift both hands up in the air and just say out loud, thank you, Jesus. Come on, just say it right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord.
You remember where you were, man, when Jesus came to your rescue? Some of you were like me, hooked on drugs or alcohol. Maybe you weren't in jail, but you felt, you felt like you were all chained up, and then Jesus came. Some of you are more like my wife. She was seven years old. Her daddy's church, he's a preacher, and she gave her life to Christ. She's been following Christ all these years. Whether you were seven or 17 or 77, if you're saved, you ought to thank God for that, man. Thank you, Jesus. And then I'm wondering how many of you would say, Scott, I'm saved and I know it, but I want you to pray for me because it's been a long time since my heart was really broken for the lost. And Scott, I know I'm saved, but man, I want to be a soul winner. Man, I got friends and family members and co-workers and next door neighbors. I don't want them to go to hell without me telling them about how to go to heaven. Scott, I'm saved and I know I'm saved, but I want you to pray for me that God will fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit and that I'll become a witness for Christ. I want to be a soul winner. If that's your heart, would you just lift your hand up high in the air and hold it there for a moment? I know I'm saved, but I want God to use me to win the lost. I want God to use me to win the lost. Now listen to me very carefully. If you're raising your hand right now, I'm going to ask you very quietly and very reverently to get up out of your seat and come join me at this altar right now. Right now. Everybody in this room who says, Scott, I'm saved, but I want to be a soul winner. I'm going to ask you to get on your knees right now before the Lord. From all over this room, I'm saved. I know I'm saved, but I want God to use me to win the lost. If that's you, just come and kneel. And here's what I want you to do as you're kneeling. I want you to pray, God, break my heart. And some of you need to say, God, my eyes are dry. I, I pray, God, that you'd break my heart and fill my eyes with tears for the lost. God, break my heart. Just ask him right now. He'll do it. Just ask him, God, give me your heart of compassion for the lost. Jesus, I want to feel what you feel. I want to experience what you experience. I pray, Jesus, for your compassion. God, fill me with compassion for the lost. Then it could be that there's something in your life. I don't know. I'm not the Holy Spirit. But if there's bitterness in your heart or anger in your heart or you got secret sin in your life, I don't know what it is. But I'll tell you this, that there are things in our life that can keep, that can hold back. They're like a dam. And they hold back the floodwaters of the presence of the Holy Spirit from being able to flow through your life. So I want you to get on your knees and say, God, cleanse me. I want to be clean before you. You say, well, Scott, I don't know what my sins are. Then just guess at them. I guarantee you, you'll guess them right the first time. God, forgive me. Cleanse me. Fill me. Then ask the Holy Spirit of God to fill you. Would you do that? Fill me. Baptize me with power. God, give me holy boldness. God, help me not to be silent. Help me to speak up. Help me not to be ashamed of you, Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you won't be ashamed of me before men, I won't be ashamed of you before my Father. God, help us. Give us courage. And then I want you to begin to pray for just a moment. We're going to take just a few moments. And I want you to begin to pray specifically for lost people in your life. Some of them might be here in this room right now. 
You know they need Jesus. God, save my sister. God, save my brother. God, I pray for my next-door neighbor, Jim. I pray for my co-worker, Mary. I pray, Lord, for my teammate, Bob. Just begin to cry out to God like those girls prayed for me. Just begin to cry out. And then I want to speak to everybody in the room this morning who could not lift your hand to say, I know that I know that I know that I'm saved. Can I talk to you for a moment? Listen to me back there. Listen to me. What is it that's keeping you from Jesus? You say, well, Scott, I've done so many things. I don't feel like I'm worthy to be saved. Well, you're not. Neither am I. None of us are. Jesus didn't die for you because you were worthy. He died for you because he loved you. And he went to the cross and shed his blood so that you could be forgiven. And he rose from the dead. You say, but you don't know what a sinner I am. Listen, man, you don't know what a savior he is. He loves you. He died for you. He rose from the dead. He wants to come into your life this morning and save you and forgive you and change you so that you'll never, ever, 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 ever be the same. You say, well, what do I need to do? Just call out to him. That's what I did in a jail cell. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I didn't go to church. All I knew was that I was lost, and those girls told me that Jesus died for me, and I believed it in my heart, and I cried out, and I've never been the same man. I've never been the same, and you'll never be the same. And I want to give everybody in, the, in this building this morning who could not lift your hand to say, I know that I know that I know that I'm saved. I want to give you an opportunity right now to give your heart to Jesus. People are praying for you right now. They're weeping over you. And today's your day to say yes to Christ. And so I'm going to ask you to pray with me out loud because the Bible says with our heart we believe and with our mouth we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so I want to give everybody in the room who does not know Jesus, if your heart were to stop right now, you say, Scott, I don't even want to think about what would happen to me. Then just cry out because Jesus died, man, so that you could have life forever. And it's yours as a free gift. You don't have to earn it or be good enough to have it. All you have to do is say, I, I, I accept it. I receive Christ. And so I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to pray out loud with me, believing. It's not praying a prayer that saves you. It's Christ that saves you. But when you pray, He's listening to you. He loves you. He died for you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to ask everybody in this room to pray this prayer out loud with me. From your heart. Because the sound of your voice will encourage somebody next to you to do what they really want to do. Besides all that, I think it's good just every now and then just to, just to remember what Jesus did for us. And so I want everybody in the room to pray this prayer, but many of you for the very first time to say yes to Jesus. You ready? All of us together from our heart, many for the first time, to say, God, I believe that you are real. And I know that you're a holy God. God, I know I'm a sinner. God, I'm ashamed of the things I've done, the things I've said, the things I wanted to do. God, I thank you that you love me in spite of my sin and that you gave your son Jesus to die on the cross so that I could be forgiven. And Jesus, thank you for taking my place. And I believe you rose from the dead. 
and that you're alive and that you're the only way to God. And the best I know how, I turn from my sin and I give you my life, Jesus. I trust you as my Savior, my Lord. And from this day on, with your help, by your grace, I want to follow you and live for you and love you the rest of my life. And I'll never turn back. By your grace, I'll never turn back. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Save me. Change me. Make me a new person. And I really mean it. I really mean it. In Jesus' name. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Christians are praying. Listen to me. If you prayed that simple prayer with me just now, and you meant business from the bottom of your heart, I want you to look up at me right now. If you prayed with me just now for the first time to say, yes, I'm giving my life to Christ, I want you to look up. And if you're out there, wave at me so I can know that's you. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Anybody else? Anybody else? Just stand up right where you are, would you? If you prayed with me, just stand up right where you are. Right where you are. Right where you are. Praise God. Pray anybody else. You prayed with me. Just stand up right where you are to say yes to Christ. Anybody else? Anybody else? You know what I want you guys to do? Everybody that's standing up because you gave your life to Christ today, I want you to head right back to that back door right there, and there are going to be four or five counselors that are going to go back there to meet with you. Just Would you head right back there so somebody can pray with you and talk with you about this decision? I need two or three folks who know how to lead people to Christ to go right back there and help these folks right now. Anybody else that prayed with me? Amen? Amen? That's wonderful. Come on, somebody. Give the Lord some shout of praise in this room. Church, let's all stand together right now. Just stay right where you're standing and let's stand together. And I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God would shake this church. But you'd quit coming to church by yourself. But you'd say, God, by the grace of God, I'm not going to come to church by myself anymore. I'm going to bring somebody lost with me. Look, look at me. You know why people come to church? Because other people invite them. You know why people don't come? You know why you didn't bring anybody to church this morning? Probably because you didn't try very hard. I mean, is that true or not? And you know why most of us didn't try very hard? Listen to me. It's because we really just don't care. We say we care, but we really don't care because our priorities are so far out of whack. Because what we're thinking about is the same thing the world thinks about. What am I going to buy? What am I going to sell? What am I going to eat? Where am I going to live? What am I going to... That's all. We're consumed with it. And what God wants to do is to give us His heart and His priority. And His heart and His priority are people. People who need to know Jesus. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want everybody to squeeze in here just as close as you can from both sides. Come on. And if you're a part of this church and you're not down here, but you want to see the church, you want to see this become a soul winning church. You know what I pray? That Church on the Rock North in Beaumont, Texas would be known for one thing, and that is for soul winning. Come on, somebody. Amen.
or a passion for the lost. But every one of these seats would be filled, not just for numbers, and not by people who leave their church and come to this church, but by people that are in your life and you bring them. You love them and you say, hey, come to church with me. And they say, you know what, I, I, I need something. And you bring them and they hear the gospel and they get saved. Or better than that, you lead them to Christ and they start coming to church here. And that God would begin, listen, if every person here would, would say, God, listen, God help me to win one person to Jesus. In 2015, the whole church would double. Amen? Come on, amen? Father, just give me one soul. Matter of fact, lift your hands to the Lord and let's pray. Say, Father, break my heart for the lost. God, fill my eyes with tears over the people in my life that don't know you. God, help me to see with new eyes this year. And God, give me your heart of compassion. And Holy Spirit, fill me. And give me boldness to speak out in love to my friends who need you. Lord, use me to win one soul to you next year. Use me, Lord. Even today, use me, Lord, for your glory to make Jesus known and God send revival to our church. God, we can't go on unless you come and visit us, Lord. And Father, I pray that we would see hundreds saved in 2015. God, do it. Do it, Lord. And Father, what you've given me as an evangelist, I give to this church. Father, I give to this church. I pray for a fresh passion for the lost and father a vision that says we're going to win this whole area to jesus father i pray that everybody that leaves here today would leave saying i, I want to win souls i want to be a soul winner i want to love jesus and love people god help us help us lord in jesus name in jesus name now lift your hands up high in the air and come on brother let's let's sing a song of worship to the lord all over this place come on lift your hands to the lord and just sing and worship the lord come on brother. i have decided oh that's it right there to follow jesus to follow jesus i'm gonna follow you lord i have decided to follow jesus I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, though, though none, none go with me, still I will follow, still I will follow, though none go with me. Still I will follow, though none go with me, still I will follow, no turning back, no turning back. back. Listen, the cross before me, the The cross before me, the world behind me. The world behind Woo! me, yes, Lord. The cross before me, the world behind me, 
the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. I have decided, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Church, listen to me. Jesus said, if you will follow me, listen, then I will make you and that's it you know really all it really amounts to is falling in love with Jesus and if you'll just fall deeply in love with Jesus then you'll find yourself talking about him everywhere you go you'll have the I can't help it say amen you know why I witness everywhere because I can't help it you say, Scott, are you some kind of religious nut well I might be but I'm screwed onto the right bolt amen I mean I've met Jesus and I can't help it. I'm going to go to Russia in just a few weeks. And I'll speak to five or 6,000 young people every night. And then we're going to take those young people out into the streets. And we're going to share the gospel with the nation. Has, the city has one of the highest rates of alcoholism. One of the highest rates of prostitution in all of Russia, this city. So we're going to take those 5,000 spirit-filled, Holy Ghost, fire-breathing, ready to charge hell with a water pistol, amen? And we're going to go to the streets. Get off your seat, on your feet, hit the street, and we're going to tell people about Jesus. But I need your help to go. I can't go by myself, and they don't, they don't have any resources. So Pastor has been so gracious today to allow us to take a, a, a love offering for our ministry and that's what those envelopes are out there and if in a minute we'll let you do that but if you're writing a check just make it out to your church and then the church will write our ministry a check but I love you I can't wait till March 15th friend day amen listen to me listen to me listen to me here's what I want you to do I want everybody in this church to have a row pastor assigned to them everybody have a row and between now and 15th, you work and pray, and pastor's going to help you know how to do that, to fill your row up. Fill your whole row up with your friends and family and coworkers and teammates and next-door neighbors who don't know Jesus. I was at Mont Bellevue. You know where that is? Well, they got a bunch of sinners there. Amen. We were there four days at Mercy Gate Church. Over 350 people came to Christ in four days. I'm talking about people who had never been inside of that church building before. The world wants to hear. We've seen over 15,000 people come to Christ this year alone. The world's hungry. But what we need are some Holy Ghost filled. I'm praying that you'll leave here so full of Jesus today that if a mosquito bit you, he'd fly away singing there's power in the blood. Amen. I mean just on fire. God, use us for your glory in Jesus' name. Hug a hundred necks around you and make your way back to your seat and pastor's going to come. I love you, church. God bless you. Thank you for letting me be here today. Pastor. Guess what? The transformation has begun. 
the DNA is being re-spun in our life. And I'm going to ask you to be seated for just a moment. I'm going to tell you this day was worth it all. It was worth it for you to be here today. It was worth it for you to, 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 to take time to be here, and it will be worth it tomorrow. Where is, uh, where's, is Gail? Where's Gail and is it Linda? Linda, is that? Let me, pardon me. Gayla, I said Gail. Gayla and Linda. Gayla, lift your hand. Last Sunday, you invited Linda to come to church, right? What'd she say? Linda invited herself. Amen. Said, hey, that's good. Well, you just lost your reward there, Gayla. She just invited herself. But, hey, she was the friend. She said, where can I go to get saved? Well, hey, last Sunday... Uh, Linda got saved right here. I'm telling you, I told, I told Scott last night, I said, the second I gave the gospel, her land, hand went up. I, her mind was made up when she walked through the doors. I'm getting saved. You know what? That'll happen over and over and over and over and over and over again as we, as we let the transformation continue. Today, if you're making out a check to help Scott get to Russia to preach to thousands of young people, uh, you just make it out to Church on the Rock North. We're going to get it all counted tomorrow, and we're going to send him a check, send him on his way to Russia, and, uh, and you'll begin to hear. Now, let me just paint a picture for you. Can I paint a picture for you? January, the first Sunday of January, what you're going to see in this altar somewhere is a big wooden cross. And on that big wooden cross, what we will begin to do, either that day or the next Sunday, we'll begin to tack onto the cross every lost person that you're praying for. And we're going to bring them to the foot of the cross. And by the time friend day comes, we're praying that the cross is filled with your loved ones and lost friends and people who need Christ, your business associates. And come Jan 1 and even really now, this is kind of preliminary. We're going to begin to pray and fast. In fact, January 11th, the second Sunday, we start our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And it's not about my, my light bill or my house payment. It's about souls. And for 21 days, we'll be praying and fasting for those whose names will be tacked to the cross. God's going to continue to give us a burden for lost souls. And we'll begin to get those wet eyes. We're going to see people born again. Lives changed. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, if you're a first-time guest here today, I don't know if I can outdo my dear friend here, Scott Camp, next Sunday, but I'm going to give my best to preach the gospel and keep you moving forward. Love for you to come back and be with us again. Uh, and uh, where's our ushers? They're all at four doors. If I got four ushers, they've got the little bags there. I need, a, I need an usher over here at this door with a bag. Uh, and if you brought your offering today, uh, you just drop it in that bag and just uh, speak a blessing as you go and say, God bless Scott Camp. Let's pray for him right there. Lord, bless Scott Camp. Thank you for the evangelist today that has come to our house and come to our town to stir up uh, the, the, the heart of an evangelist in our life and to begin to re-spin the DNA of this church, Lord, to, to be an evangelistic soul-winning church in Jesus' name. Bless him, Lord. Give him everything he needs in order to win souls in Russia in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's give the Lord of glory a great big God bless you. Let him know we love him. We love you, Lord.
this Wednesday night. We'll be right back here sharing the Word of God, helping you uh, get a burden for souls. Be here Wednesday. Young people, children's ministry, great things going on. Look in your bulletin. Take it home. A lot going on here at Church on the Rock North. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night. Have a great day. Amen.